armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, friends. Welcome to Talk Filmy to Me, the podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. My name is Adam Flint, and you can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever good podcasts are found. But more importantly, I am joined by my co-host. Who's, it's been a minute since he has been on. He is the equivalent of Brian, Brian Blessed, had a child with Brian Cox. But more importantly, he's got the best damn singing voice in all of film Twitter. Jamie Hannon, how are you doing? Uh, I'm very good, mate. Even better for being back on the show it has been a minute i heard you on the boys um i say the boys that that you know that that group the boys everyone's talking oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> i heard you on uh on our on one of our our parenting podcasts with uh pod two halves you you gave a bit of your old football knowledge there sounded good mate yeah just a little bit mate i've got you know stick a lot of fingers and a lot of pies mate that's that's the key <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact the the fact that you reg- sometimes on the pod you just don't yeah you regress to Essex man in pub yeah I've got a few fingers in pies mate yeah, yeah it's yeah. all right yeah want to buy some kittens out my van <laughs> <laughs> anyway there's no fucking segue from that but what you've been watching recently what you, what's what's good uh, well I've been uh, I've been watching a lot of Netflix at the moment to be honest with you there's um there's a lot of stuff dropping on there at the moment some of it's shit some of it's good. Um, which is pretty much the Netflix way, isn't it? I think they have a, a quantity <laughs> rather than possibly quantity sort of performance at the moment. But um, yeah, I've been watching The Good Place uh, for TV. Uh, that's been good on Netflix. Uh, and then a few films, and I think we'll go talk about one of them later, which is The King. Nice, nice. I have been diving deep on HBO's The Watchmen TV Ooh, show. Have you had a nice. chance to see this yet? No, I haven't. Is it good? It is so good. And one of the things which I think is putting a lot of people off of this TV show is they feel that they either needed to have read the the comic books or have watched the Zack Snyder movie in Mm. 2009. He'd done a a Watchmen movie. And uh, I, I have seen those films. But doesn't mean that I have any knowledge of these characters, really. <laughs> I didn't really read the books, everything else. But this TV show kind of assumes you know nothing, but at the same time doesn't explain anything. It's just one of those shows where it just pulls you in. The acting is mm. so fucking good. Like, it is really good. Regina King is amazing in this show. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. There are only, like, three episodes in, and I think it's going to be the gold star of HBO's uh, I suppose, new line of TV shows they're trying to put out. We'll talk about more of that stuff in news. But yeah, man, seriously, Watchmen. Like, what a year for TV shows. We've had Chernobyl. Uh, we've had the Game of Thrones finale, which we'll mm-hmm. probably leave there. <laughs> Obviously, Watchmen's kicking ass. Uh, Fleet Mandalorian Band, like so many. Out. Mandalorian. Oh, my God. I cannot wait for the Mandalorian. Mate, but, it's uh, a good year. Ah, what time to be alive. Anyway, shall we crack on with our first review? Definitely. You know, Auntie, I was thinking about putting out a comedy record. Comedy? You've been a singer, a shake dancer? It's real hard to break in. I do whatever it takes to get in. I come up with a new character. Dolomite is my name, and fucking up motherfuckers is my game. Dolomite Is My Name is a Netflix original movie starring none other than Eddie Murphy. Yes, Eddie Murphy, that guy. The donkey, the Beverly Hills cop. Yes, it has been nearly 10 years since his last film and arguably 20 years since his last good film. Uh, (laughs) The only reason why he is back in this film is because of the main character, okay? So this follows the story of Rudley Ray Moore. He is a comedian. This is a biopic. This is set in the 70s. Uh, This guy inspired Eddie Murphy. This is a comedian at very much focused on black exploitation and had a character called Dolomite, a 70s pimp. And this is the story about how Ray 
uh, sorry, uh, Reedy Ray discovered this character, or should I say ripped off this character because he basically sits down with a bunch of homeless people and basically makes a note of their banter between each other and makes a character out of this (laughs) and how he uses that to make a character. And that character, he goes on to make films with and stuff. And it inspired Little Eddie when Little Eddie was growing up. So he had the opportunity to come back onto the big screen and I've got to be honest with you, this is a fucking great film. I really, really enjoyed the comedy in this. Uh, I really enjoyed the acting. I enjoyed everything about this. The cast is absolutely brilliant. It's got some really well-known names. Wesley Snipes is in this film, and he actually is good. Like he's He actually busts out some really comedic chops in this. Jamie, where does Eddie Murphy sit for you like in terms of oh. acting ability? Well, in terms of... He's just multifaceted, isn't he? Like he can do any role. I mean, we, we obviously he focuses on the comedy aspect, but he can do serious roles as well. I mean, for me, the pinnacle will always be Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, I love those. All three of them. All three of them are brilliant. It's not a film that gets worse with a trilogy. It it, it maintains its hilarity. Um, but yeah, I was quite interested to see that Wesley Snipes is in it as well. Obviously, he was... Um, did he spend a bit of time in prison? Was it a tax evasion or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. First film since that, or no? He was in a um, Expendables movie, uh, oh, yeah. which is probably less said the better on that one. But mm. in this one, this is the first. I personally believe this is probably the first time he's back with proper acting chops. He plays a director, so essentially, I'm not. Uh, you know, no spoilers, but essentially, uh, the character's created Dolomite. He does the scene on the comedy circuit. He starts getting a bit of notoriety and decides to double invest in himself. He releases music albums as his character. He does movies as his character and it's this big plot to get this first movie to the big screen and he needs to get a director involved and wesley snipes plays that director and he's hilarious in it we've got keenan michael k in this you've got mike elps you've got craig robinson the list goes on and on and on of really well-known hilarious people which basically eddie murphy he probably didn't have to do much to convince them he just had to say i'm back this is my movie do you want to get involved and everyone probably just went show me the fucking dotted line and <laughs> um, i this is this is a funny film a lot of people are saying that this is actually eddie right up eddie murphy street for an oscar nomination i don't know if i'd go that far but it is so good to see because let's face it once upon a time eddie murphy was probably the biggest star on the planet he was he, there was a period of time where every film he touched was solid gold and then for whatever reason it went from solid gold to solid something else and he has managed to find that right bit of charismatic charm humor and a little bit of emotion as well and he really brings it back to the screen in this one it's a shame it didn't get a big cinematic release because i think it probably would have done well but you know i don't know if this is the sort of thing the audience wants to see on the big screen so for that reason netflix in my opinion are actually doing the lord's work in terms of bringing in some films we would have never have seen before in terms of how this is being rated everyone is loving this it's got a really high score on rotten tomatoes 97 uh, certified fresh audience score give it 91 percent as well some of the critics and i quote eddie murphy is the best scene in years at least since dream girls playing the comedian and black exploitation star rudy ray moore is effective funny but soft focused biopic but no what's and all and that was what kevin masher said for the times of the uk and i, I gotta agree with him i think it's absolutely fucking brilliant um i forgot he was in dream girls so there you go that was a film he's done in the last 
couple of decades that was good but <laughs> let's face it it's a bit slim um, I'm going four out of five. This is definitely worth the subscription for Netflix. This is definitely a streaming gem of the year. I don't know if it is the streaming gem of the year, but it's definitely enjoyable. You will find something funny and heartfelt in this. God damn, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know Cut. Was it good as shave? News. The Joker, one of my films of the year. And if you don't like that, I don't care because films are subjective. But one thing that isn't subjective is that cold hard cash and The Joker is raking in a shit ton of it right now. It has just passed a $900 million mark, which means it's made more money than Justice League. It's made more money than Batman versus Superman. It's actually made more money than Wonder Woman on its box office takings alone at the moment. That says a lot to me. That says, what does the DC world hold for us in terms of the stories they're going to be telling? Does this confirm what we already know is that they're probably going to stay away from team-up movies and focus more on these individual narratives from different angles? It also shows that the audience can suspend disbelief and not need to worry about continuity. This was very much a one-shot in terms of this is a what-if storyline, not connected to any of the canon or continuity. And not only do we accept it, we will pay our whole hard-earned money for this. Jamie, the Joker, I know you haven't had a chance to see this sucker yet, but the idea of taking characters and doing what-if storylines with them, how does that sound to you? Is that something you you like or you anti that sort of stuff? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's to my shame that I've not seen it yet. Um... You know, I, I think, you know, you and me shared a very similar opinion, didn't we, about how, you know, a film is a film at the end of the day. And, you know, a lot of the, the drama that was sort of wrapped up around the Joker just seemed unnecessary. But maybe that helped make it the successful film it is. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there's nothing wrong with the one-off sort of like what-if storylines. I think it adds a bit more depth to a, to what is quite an infinite universe anyway. You know, if you think about mm. Batman, it's not like there is only the, the Nolan series. There is lots of different Batmans and lots of different varieties and so on and cartoon series and comic books. And so I, I don't think, you know, with those sorts of things, I don't think there's any harm in having these, these one-off what if storylines at all. No, I agree with you. I know it's just, uh, I was having a discussion with someone on Twitter who shall remain nameless, um, <laughs> who was uh, essentially listens to my interview with Bill Jet Ramey from Batman on film.com and decided to, uh, say there's nothing wrong with having quote unquote comic book accurate characters because I was I was essentially implying that if you've got a problem with Catwoman being black and you're using the the term quote unquote comic book realism, um, you're you're a bit of a dick. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, st- I stand I stand by that. And but the point I'm trying to make is that these characters get reinterpreted in so many different ways. I mean, you are aware that that there has actually been a black Catwoman already in Halle Berry. I'm not yeah. saying that film was good, but you can have different <laughs> different interpretations. Well, right? well, well, well. And, I know the film wasn't great. But it did have Halle Berry in a Catwoman suit, so that that's saved. prime Halle Berry as well. Prime that, well. That's saved. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where you could could actually say where prime Halle Berry is because she just looks. She's like Jennifer. It's not Lopez. ended, mate. It's not ended. It's, it's, it's not ended. That prime just keeps going and going. <laughs> but uh, but you can have so many different flavors of these characters, right? You can have so many different interpretations, and to take that one story and do it in a way which I thought was. I thought I thought the film was absolutely incredible. I think Todd Phillips has, has made a bona fide masterpiece, in my opinion. Some people are very much getting on their high horse, 
But um, I want to quote what Terry, the editor-in-chief of Empire, said, is that 90% of it is film snobbery of the highest order. And I concur with you, madam. That is, I, It's just a great film. And if it was Scorsese or someone like that making it, we'd all be sucking him off forever. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it made a load of money, more importantly. But I'll tell you what didn't make that much money, which to some people will be disappointed with, is Terminator Dark Fate. I mean, it's currently looking like it is going to be making $120 million in a loss following its staggered cinematic release. So it's only just come out in the States. So to our US listeners, if you listen to last week's podcast, I know it's only come out this week for you, uh, Terminator Dark Fate. You can go back and listen to our review. I sat down with Joanne Rowney and we went through the film, not in spoiler detail, but if you're interested in the spoiler special, let me know. We might have a chat about it. Um, yeah, I, I've got to be honest. Dark Fate was okay, but... Mm. Did it warrant its existence? Just about. It's like the third best Terminator movie, which <laughs> is, is not... <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Like Terminator, look, let's be honest. It's the same as Aliens and it's the same as Predator. It had a fucking good original. Some people argue it had a really, really good sequel I, and I the rest like is TV. absolute bollocks. Yeah, I really like it. I mean, I actually use a clip from it in a, when I'm teaching a, a lesson on physics, actually. Uh, oh, really? What do you I, put in? I use the chase scene and I get the kids with stopwatches and they've got to then make a, a very exciting velocity time graph from it. But uh, yeah, for, I always say to them, this, as, who's seen this film? Who knows what Terminator is? And there's like, <laughs> almost zero response. I'm like, right, well, your homework is to go away and watch Terminator 1 and 2. Don't worry about the others. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you see those things on Twitter, which is always like post up with the fourth emoji on your phone or fourth most yeah. used GIF. My most used GIF, of all time is just the thumbs up in Terminator 2. Yeah, it's the hands incinerating. I think <laughs> we can all relate to that just a bit. But yeah, it's a shame it's not making as much money as it would have liked. In fact, running at a loss, it does not deserve to run at a loss. I'm not saying it's yeah, it's a great film, it's one of the films of the year. It's not. It's a great pop conflict, and some people have found it to be really enjoyable, which is kind of a shame because that means there probably won't be a sequel to that. But anyway, while I'm on the sequel train, Into the Spider-Verse is about fucking time, right? One of the best hmm. films of 2018. It pushed the envelope for animation. Again, I saw a lot of people now giving their hot takes on it, saying the story's not good, blah, blah, blah. I will revert you to my Joker feedback, which is I liked it, so shut the fuck up, and it's all subjective. <laughs> but it's getting a sequel. <laughs> In 2022, Into the Spider-Verse 2, we do not know the title of it. We don't know anything else. It feels like a real long time to go from 2018 to 2022, considering how critically acclaimed it was. It didn't make that much money. It only made something like $400 where considering the impact it's had is much greater. It won an Oscar, for fuck's sake. But, uh, yeah, Jamie, you you stoked for this? Yeah, well, I think if anyone's uh, any of the long-term listeners will remember that I was quite critical of uh, the new Spider-Man's. And then I came out of about a few <laughs> Spider-Men, ago. if you will. <laughs> Spider- oh, yeah, sorry. Spider-Men, maybe, yeah. Um, and I came out a few months ago. I haven't seen said that I've seen the new Spider-Mans and I was blown away of actually how good they were. Um, so, yeah, I am actually stoked. And um, and uh, I'm not one to, you know, to be afraid to admit that I was wrong big time. So, yeah, good film. Looking forward to the, the sequel. There we go. How noble of you, Jamie, to admit you're wrong on a, on this podcast with the legions of dozens of listeners. It doesn't happen often, mate. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, admitting they were wrong, actually. Oh, thanks for the segue setup. Is no uh, the Game of Thrones guys? So recently, they've been doing the circuits on various. Uh, conferences and various conventions and they gave a real in-depth 
not necessarily warts and all discussion, but discuss their career today. And they were talking about very much about how they made a lot of mistakes during the process of making Game of Thrones. And it appears that they have made another mistake so much that they are going to be dropping out of their Star Wars trilogy. Now, a lot of people are a bit pissed about this because, if you remember, the last season of Game of Thrones was a bit... Mm, and, uh, <laughs> Jamie, yeah. sum it up in a word. Last season of Game of Thrones. Um, um, oh, one word. Disappointing? That's a bit of a weak word, though, isn't it? Um, um, muddy puddle. I'm going to take two words there. It's like a muddy, muddy puddle. puddle. Yeah. That's the thing that's- you think. <laughs> There's a quote on top of the DVD. There you go. A muddy puddle. Jamie Hannon talked to me. Um, yeah, I I agree with you, man. Like, there's. There's something to be said about wanting to rush an ending of a story. And they spent yeah. so long serving us this great meal, right? They've got mm. the ingredients right. They've they've bred us along the journey in terms of we care about these characters. We relate to them. We empathize. We sympathize with the right ones. We hate the bad ones. And then all of a sudden, there was this race to get to this finishing line. Obviously, a lot of reasons would have contributed to that, whether it being budget or timing. But yeah, you, know, you can't deny one of the biggest contributing factors was that they got a new gig. The new gig being they were going to pen a new Star Wars trilogy. And then all of a sudden, a year into that process, they decide to bail. Now, the cynic in me is saying the reason why they've done that is because they've actually penned another deal with Netflix to create original content to the tune of $250 million. Hmm. 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 Yeah, it's, uh, you're a Star Wars man, Jamie. Are you are you gutted these guys are gone, or are you kind of relieved? It's, uh, it, it, I, I'll be honest. It's, it's a bit of a double edged sword, isn't it? Because it's um, on the one hand they have the ability to create an absolutely amazing spectacle, which we've seen. Um, but if their heart's not in it, as we've seen, or if they're rushing it for whatever reason, it leaves fans disappointed. And I think. Star Wars is not something where you can risk that. I mean, Game of Thrones was big. It's huge. But I'm not sure if anything compares to the size uh, and the wealth of um, fans as as Star Wars. And so if, you, if you're going to have someone involved in that, you need to know that they're going to be committed. Um, mm. and, and, and and we've had already some, some you know, minor and major disappointments with the Star Wars franchise. And I don't think we can... I don't think our hearts can take any more, mate. <laughs> but they do have a trump card an ace in the hole he's only he's only producing on one film at the moment but right now if i was Catherine kennedy i'd be fucking getting the radio out out the front mm-hmm. of kevin feige's house just going you're the best is <laughs> never gonna let you down and he will just storm in and just go you know what i've got this he i mean i know they just promoted him recently to like chief creative officer of all of marvel so that means he oversees the comics the tv as well as movies which is absolutely insane no one person can can conglomerate all of those things but somehow he is doing a, a very influential role in all those things anyway but get him involved man and get him to, to pull in some of the best writers possible or oh, fuck it you know what ring up martin scorsese and say you keep bitching about what cinema is or isn't here's your fucking chance to really fucking do something <laughs> other than a gangster movie which i know is going to piss off so many people on film twitter me even saying that but, <laughs> you know let's let's take a moment to step back do we do you still think we're going to get this ryan johnson trilogy um that's a good question mate i mean um i i, I just don't know where their where their heads are at the moment if i'm honest with you i mean I mean, what, what do you think? Uh, 
by all accounts, his latest movie, Knives Out, is fucking brilliant. It's like oh, a really? real good whodunit detective movie with some great comedic elements, and it literally yeah. pokes fun at the idea of toxicity and fandom, which is, let's face it, he has had a fair share of that over the last 18 months or so. Mm. And uh, I think he's a very, very talented writer. Do I think he's a very talented writer that should have a Star Wars trilogy? Who gives a fuck what I think because I've already given it to him? Um, yeah. Will it come to light? I mean, you know, let's look at let's look at other examples. Warner Brothers trusted Zack Snyder with the kingdom to their DC universe. They gave him the keys to make a Justice League movie, a Batman movie, because let's face it, it was a Batman movie, and mm. to carry on where all these other characters were going. They invested probably to the tune of billions in that vision. But halfway through that vision, as it was being executed, they got a bunch of feedback. And that feedback was Batman versus Superman. A lot of people said they fucking hated it, and yep. it wasn't going in the light and fluffy direction they wanted to. And that intervention caused so many different changes, like a, a ripple effect. And that's how we got Justice League. And I'd, I'd love to know if someone's making a documentary or a book about the process of that film, even to the point where we are still talking about the Snyder Cut now. In fact, Jason Momoa was doing an interview last week where he mm. said, I have seen this cut and it's awesome and people deserve to see it. I might be fucking fired as Aquaman right now, but I think people should see it. Hmm. and uh, he's saying that from a, a position of my last movie just made a billion dollars i ain't being fired <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and, and you know, to be fair yeah you can i can't see anyone else beating momo on on as aquaman right now there's no one else that could step up to the to the front like he he's he's an incredible i don't think i could look him in the eye and tell him he's fired anyway like nah. he's just like he, he he's got equal amounts of friendliness and i'll be able to kick your arseness so yeah, yeah. I'll, that I'll man can throw that. knives and axes for real you, you don't want to piss him <laughs> off <laughs> and go for a beer afterwards though yeah. to be fair as well yeah. but um but my point is is that the last jedi has had its fair flack right in terms of feedback and everything else and i would not be surprised because they made this announcement for this new trilogy either just before like on the cusp of releasing or like on release day that ryan johnson is getting that trilogy and there's not been much since then and he's been going on to do other projects so i think that will just sunset out i i generally believe they just need to take a moment and just let's let's rise a Skywalker land. The Mandalorian, you know, by all accounts, looks incredible. So hopefully that's really good. They've got a great asset in John Favreau as well, who could potentially step in and help. I know they're talking about writers, not directors, but you know, you can't be involved in the projects that people like John Favreau has been in without being part of that writing process just a little bit. So they've got such a rich tapestry. I don't think they need to rush, but I think they do need to push back release dates because I think it's something like 2021 is when the first film is actually due to be released or they've got a slot for. Mm. So yeah, they do need to probably delay if they aren't going to sign on someone straight away. Yeah. I, I, I think there is an element, isn't there with the star Wars that they need to, I think they need to slow down a little bit. I think mm. there's, there's too much going on. You've got the TV series coming out. You've got more movies coming out. It's just, it. I mean, unless they're trying, I mean, obviously they're trying to recreate like a, a successful Marvel franchise, aren't they? Where they're pumping out a film every other year and there's a TV series up the wire too, but it's just, yeah, you, you can't, you don't want to lose the Star Wars magic, do you? At the end of the day. Yeah. You don't want to dilute that, that, uh, I don't want to say brand cause that makes it sound so cold, but yeah. you don't want to dilute the fucking magic source that, that makes yeah. that franchise. I mean, I was sat down and I watched last year with my daughter yesterday, uh, because mm. she, she loves it. And, 
even when it's bad, it's, it's like I, I Star Wars should be like pizza. Even when it's bad, it's still good, right? And if you <laughs> have pizza every night, then then it's not pizza anymore. And yeah. I'll be, you know, I'll be damned if we end up being in a world where we're not excited about a Star Wars movie or not excited mm-hmm. about something it can do. And you know people like Martin Scorsese saying if it's not pizza or not. So other Game of Thrones news is that there was a bunch of spin-offs in the works uh, from various TV shows and potentially even TV movies, but although that was more unconfirmed rumours, but there's definitely been a bunch of TV shows in the work, one of them being a pretty cool TV show. This was actually filmed in terms of a, a pilot episode, and they done a straight-to-order series. What that means is they make the pilot episode and then just start going to make other episodes, and they'll critique that depending on feedback from the pilot episode. Um, that was actually going to be a prequel TV show set not too far before the events of Game of Thrones, focusing around the Stark family. It had a, a lead. It had a big name in Naomi Watts, who you may remember from uh, The Ring re- uh, remake, just to name but a few of her, her projects. And they decided in cold, hard cash, however you want to describe it as, they decided to can this show. And they decided to let people know via the medium of the internet. Apparently, there are people in Ireland working on this TV show, and then they just opened up Twitter and was like, "Oh, we've all been fired." <laughs> oh wow, that is heartless, <laughs> isn't it? Insane. That oh. is, and on the same day, they were doing their HBO Max presentation, which is going to be their new streaming service. Which America, I feel so sorry for you guys because there's like. 12 different services and that means 12 different lots of money you're going to have to pay i mean at least in the uk we're kind of restricted um Mm. which means we don't get as much content as you guys but at least we're not paying out as much as you guys are Mm. um, on a monthly basis here and anyway they announced during that to kind of cover up not cover up but soften the blow of getting rid of one prequel show is that they're going to have another so this one is going to be set 300 years before the events of game of thrones it's going to very much focus on the house of targaryen it's going to be called house of the dragon and it's going to have a lot of fucking dragons in so i'm kind of like i'm bitterly disappointed for the first show but hyped about this one what's your take on this yeah i mean i still don't understand the rationale of canning one prequel for another prequel don't get me wrong targaryen house is an awesome house to follow and like you said dragons are gonna be cool i'm down with that but uh, if, if they think that, I mean, I, I'm guessing my only thinking is that they, the current prequel that they're filming, they think won't launch the franchise as well as it could. And maybe they're thinking the Targaryen one would be a better one to, to, to release to the world as the prequels for Game of Thrones. And then maybe go back to this other one or something later on. But it just doesn't make a sense. I mean, they would have thrown away tens of millions of pounds. I would imagine on, on production and, and salaries and, and writers and and to have all that set up and ready to go and then go to another prequel just seems like a a very odd choice. There must be something going on behind the scenes. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? I think that pilot must really fucking suck. Yeah, I mean, um, that's the other option, isn't it? It's, it's just really, really shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now there's been some headway between now and the, the finale and, you know, I mean, to the point where the writers didn't even bother turning up to Comic-Con to face the crowds, right? Because right. they know how poorly it's been received. So mm. maybe, again, similar to the, the kind of Justice League Zack Snyder world where they had a plan and they're like, right, just go do your plan and uh, we ain't going to fucking listen to anyone. I'm just going to do it. And then some they realise, oh, we didn't realise it was received that badly. Okay, maybe we do need to rethink this. And uh, just maybe they were think- they watched that pilot and went, this is not good. Like, this is just not good. I mean, who knows? Maybe 
this is going to be an ace in the hole of on their new HBO streaming service. They're going to say, look, we will put it to you, the people, that if you want to see this, it'll be on the streaming service. If enough people enjoy it and you want it, then we'll, then we'll make more or we'll release the episodes we did make. I don't know. Maybe I'll do something like that. Uh, maybe I should do that at the Snyder Cut, actually. That'd be quite an interesting concept yeah. to do. But, um, but yeah, it must be that that pilot was really bad. I do have a bit of a problem with doing like a Stark family thing because we know ultimately what how it ends. Yeah, true. And it's like the whole like we know how it starts thing well. Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah, we know how it starts. Yeah, exactly. Because Bran was I mean, going back in time and stuff, so we've got we've got a fairly good idea of what's been going on. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know what we need? We need more. We need more hours worth of just those boring flashback scenes. Let's face it, we all skipped or just ignored anyway because we just wanted to get back to the battle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very true. Right. That's it, yeah, just hours and hours of flashbacks. <laughs> So yeah. Anyway, we're we're losing that, but hey, we're getting more dragons. We're getting more madness, which means we're getting more incest. So, way <laughs> <laughs> just what we wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you something that I did want more of, which I am so happy to hear about. Now, Disney done their whole Marvel slate thing at Comic Con. They then expanded on that at D twenty three, and we thought that was it. I mean, come on, we've got a bunch of TV shows coming. Or let's let's face it, the Hawkeye show is probably not going to happen because. Marina turns out is not a very nice person but anyway that aside they're, they're still making stuff they're still thinking about more things in the future and Ant-Man 3 is happening and Peyton Reed is coming back to direct with Paul Rudd obviously reprising his role as Ant-Man Jamie brilliant. I know you're a big Paul Rudd man what's your take oh brilliant man I mean I don't know if you've seen his um uh, his latest tv show that he's produced um oh, was it on Netflix I think it was where he um he said to go- myself Yes, yes. Have you seen it? No, my wife has seen it oh. and spoiled it all for me. Oh, I'm only saying it because she probably listens to this right now. <laughs> no, it's all right, babe. It's all right. It's all right. We're allowed our own shows. We're allowed our own shows. As long as, <laughs> as, long as we can, as long as we can watch Watchmen together, it's fine. I forgive you. Anyway, sorry, you were saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's just brilliant. He is just he's just that timing he's got is superb. Mm. And as and charming, yeah, and and it's just refreshing to see a superhero character not take themselves too seriously a bit like you know the thor sort of developed in that sort of character didn't he towards the end of the films as well um and and that's i think people enjoy that people enjoy that comedy element that action with a bit of comedy is a a really successful mix so yeah i'm over the moon with that news that's great stuff are you excited for it I am a little bit, and I am, I'm not. So what I'm excited about is I, no, I love Paul Rudd. We need more of him. There needs to be more Paul Rudd in the world. We all need that. Fantastic. And Ant-Man and the Wasp is not in the same league as the first Ant-Man movie. It's still an enjoyable film, but it's not, in my opinion, it's not in the same league. And I think the reason why it's not in the same league is because Edgar Wright wrote most of that first movie, and he spent a long time developing it, like the best part of a decade putting that story together, pasting it in a way which is going to be really, really awesome and just made the made the insignificant hilarious, you know, from the Thomas the Tank Engine to the I will destroy you playing I will destroy you. Yeah, everything from that was so charming and so beautiful where it felt that Ant-Man and the Wasp was more of a, okay, we're just going to do a, a heist movie and and not really have that same level of, uh, of let's just say, iterations gets the point is that. That being said... Yeah. It has been a couple of years, and it probably will be a couple of years before we see this again. This is a post-Endgame world, so what does that mean? I mean, Peyton Reed must be a bit pissed off. Sorry, spoiler alert for, uh, for Endgame, that you've taken the daughter and aged her up. 
and like just basically done so many different things with his own stories. Like, oh great, you fucked me of Civil War by bringing in Giant Man. Now it's not not in that impressive in my movie, and now you've aged up the kids. So I can't even have the father daughter dynamic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a bit screwed, really, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, but uh, what I, I I love about this is I so about. Three months ago, we talked about a rumour that they were filming the Ghostbusters movie with Paul Rudd, obviously mm. being one of the stars in that. And he went up, to, uh, one of the kid extra actors was pestering him about an Ant-Man 3. And at the time, there was no rumours, nothing at all. And Paul Rudd just went to this kid, it's totally happening, there's a script, yeah, you can tweet about it. And this kid started a rumour. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to think that there was no plan whatsoever and that Paul Rudd has willed this into existence. That would be. In fact, uh, it's funny you mentioned that TV show that he's on at the moment. He was doing the rounds on, I think, Graham Norton or something in the UK. And uh, you know when, like, clearly they obviously know a lot about Paul Rudd because they know about his history, but they try and dumb it down so that they assume their audience doesn't know much about him. Mm. So they spent a lot of the time talking about his first, like, big break, which was an episode in Friends, because they think, oh, oh everyone yeah. knows Friends, and we'll talk about this. And yeah. he was in the final final episode, the finale. Yes, and yes he was. He was just talking about this story, which just makes me laugh so much, because he was like, look, no one knew who I was. Yes, I was in some episodes, but you know, I'm, I'm basically a glorified extra with some, some was, scenes in. Wasn't he Phoebe's like, love interest or something? I thought it was her brother, but I can't remember, uh, to be honest. Um, but... But basically, he was uh, he was on the he was on the finale, and everyone. Now it was one of the most expensive episodes of TV ever made because of the salaries, and a lot of people were really emotional. And like he was going up to like the lead actor, so Jennifer Anderson and stuff like that, and going, "Oh God, it's been such a journey. Like like we've been through so much together, haven't we?" In such like a Paul <laughs> Rudd way, <laughs> looking like who the fuck is this kid? <laughs> Brilliant, absolutely amazing. Only he could pull that off, though. Only him. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, just to, to wrap up news, let's talk about some trailers that drop. So uh, we both keep harking on about how much we love It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, and yeah. the main reason why is because of the man, Frank, played by none other than Danny DeVito. He's mm-hmm. uh, he's getting himself back in big Hollywood movies. He is going to yes. be in Jumanji, the next level. Uh, he is going <laughs> to be kind of like an old man, which gets sucked into the game and inherits the body of The Rock. And we saw the trailer for that. Jamie, judging by your laugh, you have seen this and you are happy about it. Oh, I mean, the Jumanji films are just so silly anyway, aren't they, the new ones? They're great. And it's it just... Anything with Danny DeVito, automatic gold, mate. They're, they're writing checks right now because they know it's going to cash itself in. Oh, I love Danny DeVito, mate. He's great. And hearing the idea of being in the body of the rock is just... I feel like there's a little bit of, going to be a little bit of an element of, the, of twins in there, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Danny DeVito, but, <laughs> but as one. <laughs> oh, mate, I'm looking yeah, They're kind of doing that with Kevin Hart, right? The whole like, yeah. dynamic of you're big, I'm little. But what I really appreciate about this is that hmm. The Rock is clearly doing, like, he is channeling Danny DeVito. Like, when you watch the scenes where he is obviously playing, like, I'm supposed to be the old man, Danny DeVito, he is basically being frank in terms of, <laughs> like, his, his mannerisms and bodies. Like, that takes acting. That actually yeah, takes yeah. good acting. So fair play to The Rock from it. I mean, the only thing is, is that, uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say that um, 
you know, Jumanji holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts. And a lot of people didn't expect much from this sequel slash soft reboot in Welcome to the Jungle. And sorry, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, not to be confused with the other movie starring The Rock, also called Welcome to the Jungle. And also The Rock, 90% of the time, is there in a in a khaki outfit fighting bad guys. Anyway, let's just think about this properly. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, that was a great success, that first film. We gave it a really favourable score, mm. I think back in 2017 when it came out and uh you know there's a lot of hype building towards this and i don't know if this film lends itself to be sequelized you know so i don't know if it's you know how it's going to play out but you know yeah. you've got also oh, how can we forget what's his name danny glover is in this film as well oh yeah he is, isn't he yeah i, I feel like it's uh, there's a little bit of um there is the potential isn't there for a jumanji universe really because there's this there is so much depth to the jumanji sort of curse game whatever you want to call it so mm. but i mean there is the danger of it becoming a bit samey, isn't it? Like, you know, oh, I've got to escape the game again. Like, you do you do wonder yeah. how, long, how long that can go on for. But, but you know, sod it. They've put Danny DeVito in it, mate. That's just gold. <laughs> they've, they've done it. That's worth the... And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Jamie Hannon price of admission. <laughs> That's all you need. Up, take my money. It's got Danny DeVito in it. <laughs> So, yeah, anyway, that'll be dropping really soon. And just to wrap it up, we'll talk a bit about TV for a second. The Witcher, which is going to be Netflix's answer to Game of Thrones. If you are not aware, this is based on a very famous set of Polish novels, which has also been adapted into a series of video games. Uh, The trailer for this has dropped. Uh, It has got Henry Cavill doing the lead role in this, playing a a very awesome-looking monster knight with amazing white hair. Uh, could have been in House of Targaryen with that look. But uh, this this is getting me pumped. A lot of money's gone into this, a lot of excitement and a lot of expectation. Yeah, um, I mean, I've, I've not been a big fan of the games and stuff, but I do um, I do appreciate the, the, the trailer looks really good. Um, like you said, it does seem to have this sort of Game of Thrones element to it. What is it in particular mm-hmm. that draws you towards it, though, Flynn? What is it? Is it uh, do you, did you grow up the games, and that's what's? Um, uh, I know you've been no. excited about this for a while. Yeah, so I, you know, just cut a long story short. Basically, I read a book called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, which, if you haven't read it or listened to the audio book, it's fucking brilliant. It's about video games that have had troubled upbringings during their production process, but either become a success or a complete failure. But um, I work in technology, so it's really interesting to hear about the lessons learned from lots of different things from that. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to this this game, The Witcher 3, and it is one of the most downloaded games of all time. You speak to anyone who plays it, they always say it's one of their best games they've ever played. And the reason why is because it takes the source material of these books, which are very well well loved. And like I say, you know, they're, they're not necessarily, don't originate from English language, and it's interesting that they've translated that in a way which makes, you know, still amazing grammatic sense and everyone adores them. And uh, I just know from being around the community of people that love this game that there is very high expectations on this. I'm coming in cold in terms of I've never played the game. Uh, I've got the first book. It's on my shelf to read. But uh, I'm going to do that thing that most people does, which is push their glasses up their nose and go, hmm, I read the book. When they haven't. Really. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah exactly uh, but i yeah i i'm a massive henry cavill fan i think he's a really underrated actor i think he gets a lot of shit because of the mustache thing with justice league but everything i've seen him in from man from uncle to the immortals to to his tv work as well he's really really good actor and 
there's a fine line between being smug and charming and I think he, he covers that line really well as evidenced in Mission Impossible Fallout but he is a massive massive gamer listen to any interview with him he is obsessed with his video games and he is a massive fan of this video game which means he is very passionate and he could go he could go do anything he's got the world at his feet at the moment he could go pick any project he wants and he has actively sought out this project because he's a massive fan of it i don't know if that always equates to a good product but when you've got people like that in front of the camera then it's half a chance of it being good and this trailer like i say everyone wants their game of thrones you've got amazon throwing money at their game of uh, sorry their um lord of the rings tv show they spent something like 200 million dollars in just acquiring the rights that's before even any cameras have rolled you've also got hbo doubling down on their game of thrones content to try and recapitalize on that audience and now netflix have thrown their hat into the ring with this fantasy medieval mythical elements with with this work thing by acquiring some really exclusive ip so i'm really hyped i you know i we'll find out in december if it is it good enough because like you say netflix do tend to churn it out <laughs> yeah you do get you get it knocked out of the park sometimes and then sometimes you get films like hush so um so yeah i uh, baited breath i think it's the, the best way to describe it and that's your news for this week a king has no friends Followers and fall. The King is another Netflix original. It's been doing the rounds on the festival circuits over the last two months or so. Uh, with very mixed reviews. I have not seen this film, but we sent our boy, young Mr. Hannon, to go see this one. So, Jamie, what is this film about? So, believe it or not, it's about a king. Uh, in fact, King Henry V. And it's more based on the Shakespearean henry had plays so if anyone's familiar with shakespeare hopefully we all are from our school days um there are quite a variety <laughs> of uh henry v based plays so there's, there's there's a whole sort of series of them like mini plays and so on and so it's kind of based more on that and there's uh and it's still got some basis in 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 fact however there is uh some a little bit of poetic license with certain characters names and certain and certain elements to it um, on the whole, it seems to stay true to historical accuracy. There are some some inaccuracies that I did point out, though. Um, for example, they do use the word fuck, which I believe didn't come around to about the 16th, 17th century, I believe. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, apparently so. So, uh, uh, That's a good question. I don't know. But I do, <laughs> say, but I do know that Shakespeare invented the word quaint, which he actually meant to use a very rude swear word, which uh, begins with a C. Oh, uh, that's shit. like um, he also invented the word quim, which is uh, basically the medieval version of the word cunt. And um, yeah. he, yeah, that was basically you. And uh, the only reason why I know that because I'm a Marvel fanboy. And uh, in um, Avengers, Tom Hiddleston turns around and says, "Get back, you mealy quim!" Where people are like, "Oh, he's basically just calling him a cunt in Shakespeare." Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I'm derailing. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, so uh, yeah, so it's um, it, it's a long film. It's two hours and twenty two minutes, I think. Um, so it's not one to pop on quickly <laughs> while you're doing something else. And it is a film that does require your attention. You can't really have it on the background while you're doing something else. It's uh, got a bit of a slow start to it. The first, I'd say, maybe hour or so is a bit of a slow burn, and then it starts to really pick up pace an hour in. Um, leads up, well, I'm not going to give any, it's not going to be any spoilers, because if you know your history, then King Henry V really made his name uh, at the Battle of Agincourt. Uh, and so that's where he sort of leads up to about his 
basically his crusade through taking over France. Um, it's led by uh, Timothy Chamelet. I think I've said that correctly. Chamelet. Um, <laughs> he's not been in a, a you know any sort of. Uh, He's been in a few films, obviously, up to this point. Uh, and his uh, love interest in the film is actually played by Lily Rose Depp, so Johnny Depp's daughter. Again, this is probably maybe her fifth or sixth film that she's been in. So she yeah. she, she plays a very strong character. She plays the, the princess of France that eventually marries Timothy, uh, who's playing King Henry V. Um, however, it, quite interesting, again, the historical inaccuracy there is actually the princess of France was described as being actually quite quiet and quite timid. Whereas uh, Lily Rose Depp is playing a very powerful role here, very assertive, making it very clear to Henry V what her expectations are uh, and how she's displeased with how you know this situation has arisen. Um, our Pats is in it. Uh, our boy Arp. Oh, apparently, he's uh, French in this, and apparently has a very questionable accent. Is this it's true? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only thing that might save him is like you know the the French accent back then. Who knows what it sounds like? And you could probably swing it being that way, being like, well, the French accent was very different back then. Uh, in fact, actually, is it quite bad or is it like borderline hate crime? Uh, it's, it's just, it's very cheesy. It's a little bit like for, for any uh, anyone who's aware of the TV show Hello, Hello in the UK, um, it was very much like the policeman from that. If, <laughs> if you haven't seen Hello, 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 spelled A L L O A L L O, Google it. There's a policeman who goes in it. Effectively, every time he sees people, goes good morning. It's kind of that sort of French accent. It's it's quite comical, but because of the drama of the film, I don't think it it's a, a massive focal point. You, you you kind of get over it quite quickly. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, not awful, but it's not great either. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so that's uh, an interesting uh, part of it. Yeah, you've got Sean Harris in it as well. Sean Harris has played a uh, oh, nice. Quite a few period films, actually, hasn't he? Where he's played sort of like the crazy um, uh, soldier or whatever it might be. But yeah, he's he's quite powerful in this role as well. And then there's a few other sort of people just making breaks in the film. But it's uh, it's a, it's a good. I I would say it's a good film. It's it, like I said, slow burner. Uh, but most period dramas of this sort of based in this sort of medieval period, they are quite slow burners because they are you know, you know it, they didn't. They couldn't just jump into battle straight away. You know, there was a long period of marching to battles and so on, and that drama building. Um, so yeah, I, I think it captures some things really well. Uh, I think I think everyone who's in it, I mean, especially Timothy and uh, Lily Rose, are cracking actors in it as well. Um, yeah, I, I would, uh, and I know it's got mixed reviews. On the whole, I think the reviews seem to be more positive than negative, and I would definitely give this film. Probably three and a half out of five stars. It might have been a bit more if it had just been... I think they could have cut a bit from the film just to make it a bit more succinct. But uh, on the whole, well filmed. The battle scene is is gruesome. Um, and, and the tactics using it are, are very, very clever. Uh, but yeah, it's got a good battle scene at the end. Oh, there you go. That's what, what more do you want? Uh, a lot of people, like you say, Timothy Chamelay has such a following, almost cult-like to an extent, um, yeah. you know, really breakout performances and stuff like Call Me By My Name and all that sort of stuff. And apparently mm. he's really good in Little Women adaptation that's coming out later on in the year. Um, and a lot of people Ah, oh, yeah, of course he was. Um, a lot of people have said that this role isn't necessarily too far for him, but he's just kind of done it wrong in terms of he he comes across as a little bit too much of a spoiled brat in this. Is that true? 
I, I, I would disagree. I think he's intentionally supposed to come across as a sport brat in the early part of the film, because it, they're, they're, you know the Shakespeare side of this is that the you know Henry V was a drunk, a lout, a bit of an asshole, um, and actually when on becoming king, he sorted his shit out. You know, he brought, got his shit together and, and, and led the country and led the country well. Um, and that's supposed to be the whole story behind it. That's why it's supposed to be. And that's why I think Shakespeare focused on it because it's a bit of a, a romanticized story, isn't it? It's, you know, mm. you know, you you can you know your history doesn't you know your past doesn't necessarily define your future, uh, which is quite an uplifting sort of tale, isn't it? Uh, so I think he played that 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 lout and that you know that arsehole quite well um and then he definitely you definitely see elements of his softer side but at the end of the day he's a medieval king who who as far as he's concerned has been appointed by god he plays that role superbly i think i think he's a he's a very talented actor actor and i think we're gonna i mean don't get me wrong the bowl cut <laughs> i feel sorry <laughs> for him having to have that bowl cut but it was of the time uh but i think there's going to be some re I'm, I'm looking forward to see what else is going to come from him because it was I thought he was a very, very powerful actor in this. Oh, nice. And you're right. It is dividing critics among it. I'm going to quote a few quotes here and see what you feel about, if you agree or, or disagree with this. I'm going to quote Anne Hornaday, the Washington Post's top critic. And I quote, what should have been a soaring film is instead laborious. What should be a ripping good yarn is instead beautiful and a little bit dull. Would you agree with that? Did she see the film? I don't know, but uh, I kind of want to start. I'm going to start calling out top film critics. And, like, <laughs> I, I just like, cheering like a critic off a little bit. I mean, like I said, I felt like the film did did drag a little bit, and the first hour was was very slow. And I think if you cut out maybe 30, 40 minutes of content, it would have been a much better film. But uh, dull, I think. I think it is unfair. I think it. There are. Like I said, if it was short, it would be much better. But Dull was unfair. It was, there was definitely some good action in that last twenty minutes, twenty minutes to half an hour, um, and, and and you know it was supposed to be about this development of this of this boy becoming a man and becoming a king, and and you know, I, 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 yeah, I think that's an unfair. I think I, I can see where she's coming from, but I think elements of that are unfair. All right, let's let's go with round two then. Jamie versus Chris Agar from from ScreenRants.com. Chris writes, and I quote, The King is a handsome period piece featuring a strong turn from Timothy Shanley, but ultimately feels less than the sum of its parts. Three out of five. What do you feel, Jamie? You're going to take Chris on in this? <laughs> well, I only gave it half a star more, didn't I? So, um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, and I, I could, again, I, I can't argue with that one too much because it – it was a fantastic performance from Timothy. Um, and I think... <laughs> Sorry, you're doing a South Park voice. I know. I'll try not to. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think you know, when he's saying about it being the less than the sum of its parts, I think, again, that's probably to do with that first hour. I think if someone had picked yeah. it up from an hour in, I think the quotes would be very, very different. Well, there we go. Maybe, just maybe, Robert Pattinson is just experimenting with accents for his Batman. I mean, if he takes off the cow and just goes, hello, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Gotham needs me. Um, Let's stop that before we start alienating our audience any more than I have done already on this pod. Uh, So there you have it. Three and a half out of five. The King, available on your Netflix account now. On me! Already I can feel the weight of this crown I wear.
Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this and you think maybe we could do more, maybe we could improve, then click on the like, follow, subscribe. Any button that is that you get more content from Talk Filming to me. You know what we'd like you to do? Jamie, do you know what I'd like them to do as well? What would you like them to do, mate? I'd like to follow us on Twitter. We have a Twitter handle. It's called at Talk Film With Me because we're very inventive like that. And there you'll find out about news and other things that we got going in the pipeline. It also means that we can speak to you, the people, and find out how we can shape this going forward. We're going to be doing more giveaways. We've got more interviews lined up and more guests like my astute friend, Mr. Hannon. How can people find you? Oh, they can find me on Twitter at Mr. Hannon in space. And I will be arranging a circle of death in a car park, inviting all of Rotten Tomatoes approved critics to take Jamie on one by one for each of these reviews. (laughs) (laughs) He will actually fight to the death on Kevin Cosner reviews. So uh, you have been forewarned. Anyway, that's it. Stay filmy. Hang in there till next time. (laughs) 